Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Family, good morning to those of you joining us on live stream. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at Sam Alliance Church. Hey, before we jump into anything else, I just want to acknowledge there's two roses here on the platform. Roses signify new life in Christ, and two patients at Salem Free Clinics put their faith in Jesus this past week. Would you celebrate that with us? <clears throat> Also, this is a big weekend as our women's retreat and our middle school retreat are both taking place this weekend, so that's a big deal. I want to pray for those, but real quick, if you're a middle school student and you're in this room, we're glad you're in this room, and you can stay in this room, but also want to let you know we still are having middle school over in the youth center. And those of you on live stream, you moms that are going to be watching this later on in the week because you're at this women's retreat, I was in Omni before this, and your husband's got the kids here on time. They were not crying. They look good. Good. The clothes matched. It was amazing. Um, none of that is actually true. It was a lot of fun to watch. A lot of you dads walk in a little bit late today with your kids. Well done, though. Well done. Uh, but would you just join me? These are important retreats that are happening, and this is part of our rhythm here. Our high school and our young adults will be having retreats coming up as well. But would you join me in just praying for our women and our middle schoolers? Jesus, we just thank you for this incredible opportunity. And I just pray first for our middle schoolers that are away. Lord, amidst just the excitement and the games and the fun and the laughter and the new friendships that are being formed, Lord, I just pray that there would be just a silencing and that you would hear from people in Jesus' name. And Lord, for the women that that are away at Canaan Beach today, Lord, I just pray your peace and your blessing over them. Lord Jesus, that you would just allow them to have a liminal moment where they experience the power and the presence of you, Jesus. Lord, would you do a work in their lives and would you bring them home here safely? And for us in this room this morning, Lord, we come with a posture of receptivity. We are ready to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, we're in week three of our series, Ezekiel. And we are talking through just a lot of different things through the book of Ezekiel. If you're like me, I know as I have walked around and seen others that are just dealing with the the Bible study curriculum, many people are saying, Rob, why did you decide to go after this book? Right? Ezekiel is a pretty intense book. It's It's a book where we just are seeing a lot of judgment happening. It's a book where we're seeing accusations. It's a book where different things are going on. And I'm just going to pause real quick. I'm sorry, everybody, I'm a little distracted. I think we have a little health thing over here. And so I'm just going to pray for the Hortons real quick. Jesus, I just pray your peace and your power and your blessing over Terry even right now. Lord, we just pray your healing into even his body right now. And we just pray for their family, for the generations that are part of this church that are from the Horton family. And we pray your peace over this situation right now. We thank you for the amazing people in our church that are able to deal with these things. And we pray your peace and your blessing over this right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sorry, a little distracted this morning. So we're in the book of Ezekiel. 
For me, as I've been reading through just these first 15, 16 chapters, I'm seeing both this judgment and these accusations and just these things coming against the people. And then on this side, I'm also looking and I'm reading Romans 2 over and over. And I'm reading just this idea that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. And so we see both the judgment and we see the kindness. And for some of us, it is difficult to reconcile these two things. Bless you, Terry. Terry has served here at Sam Alliance for many years as an elder, as a prayer warrior, and uh, so our continued prayers will be with him, and we'll try to get you guys updates throughout this week. But as we sit in this tension of the judgment and the kindness of God, I hope what you see here in the book of Ezekiel, what I believe is the main idea, that even in the judgment, even in the accusations, even in the correction that's coming to the people, there's this level of restoration. You see, God is always leaving a door open because his grace and his mercy is there. He wants his people restored. He wants his people to find him. And here we see that his desire is that his people will be purified, that they will live, that they will flourish. Jennifer communicated this really powerfully last week. If you missed that message, I just hope that you go back and you catch that. It was a beautiful thing as she was able to just turn us and see this is why this is happening to this people because the heart of Father God is though there's a judgment over the rebellion, our rebellion, his desire is restoration. It's the theme theme of Ezekiel, justice, hope, and restoration. Today we're going to be in chapter 14 of Ezekiel, and you can turn there if you would like. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 8, and we'll read that. I'll put it on the screen in just a second. But before I jump in, I want to just set some context for what's happening here. You see, in Ezekiel 13 and 14, there's two messages that are two groups of people that are receiving messages. The first is this group of prophets, and God is actually saying to them, you're actually, you've crossed some lines, and and you're false prophets now. You're false prophets. These people that hear from God on behalf of others have started to give messages that aren't being downloaded from God, but rather their messages, they're telling people what they want to hear. They're providing the affirmations, the confirmations. They're, they're giving false hope. And God is saying, that's not how this works. I know it's been a difficult season. I know you want to prophesy good things to your community. They've stopped coming to you. They might not like you, but that's not how this works. You need to tell them what I tell you. And it says in chapter 13, over and over, that the prophets were giving words from their own imagination. And God is saying, no. His anger is burning against the false prophets. Here in chapter 14, again, he's addressing the false prophets. And if you continue reading beyond the passage that we'll be looking at today, he takes it so far to say that if you, as a prophet, one who hears on behalf of others, give a word to a community, to a group that aren't aren't fully in, that don't have their allegiance to me, that come with the wrong posture, you are also guilty. And whatever you you give, I will make false. And so there's a a warning here, even for, for those of us in our community that are those that hear from God on behalf of others, are we willing to give whatever God is downloading to us in community? Because sometimes it's difficult, because sometimes when people are coming looking for an affirmation or confirmation, what we're hearing is actually wait, or not yet, or there's some things you need to examine in your life. And so the question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to walk in that? 
But there's a second group that this passage here in Ezekiel 14 is talking to, and that's this group, this community that comes to the prophet Ezekiel because they want to hear. They approach him, and they, they ask for a communal meeting with the prophet Ezekiel. They're wanting confirmation and affirmation as well. They're hoping that he gives them a word and says, this time that you are in exile, because these people are in exile in Babylon, is about to end. Your freedom is at hand. You will be returning home very soon. But Ezekiel inquires from God, and he quickly realizes that this is a group with a, devoided, uh, a divided allegiance. They have one foot in the kingdom of Israel and one foot in their new home, the kingdom of Babylon. And God has some words for them. We're going to be looking at those words. Ezekiel 14, verses 1 to 8. We'll put it on the screen. You can read along. Then some of the leaders of Israel visited me. And while they were sitting with me, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their requests? Tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and fallen into sin. And then they go to a prophet asking for a message. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer their great idolatry deserves. I will do this to capture the minds and the hearts of all my people who have turned from me to worship their detestable idols. Therefore, tell the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent and turn away from your idols and stop all your detestable sins. I, the Lord, will answer all those, both Israelites and foreigners, who reject me and set up idols in their hearts and so fall into sin, and who then come to a prophet asking for my advice. I will turn against such people and make a terrible example of them, eliminating them from among my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. A difficult word. Another ouch passage. Another passage with accusation that can be difficult to hear. But there's guidance here in this passage for us. You see, I believe that for all of us in this room, our desire is to hear the voice of God in our lives. There's an innate longing, and we here at Sam Alliance believe that God still speaks. He speaks through his word. He speaks through other people. He speaks through nature and dreams and visions, and we long to hear from him. All of creation does. And here we see that to a level, our ability to hear God is to an extent, determined by our own spiritual condition. I would say that the main idea of these eight verses is this. God speaks to those who are fully surrendered. Our hearts open up our ears to hear his voice. An undivided heart is the key to ears that hear. In many ways, this co-opted people of Israel in exile have broken their relational covenant with God, who is a relational God, and yet he goes to them and he says, you're treating me like a a fortune teller. How dare you? How dare you? He says, I need your full attention. And that question is then extended to us. Are we coming to him with surrendered hearts, with ears that are then open to hear his voice? Are we coming with split allegiances? One foot following him and another, a hybrid of sorts, divided somewhere else. Does God have our full attention, our undivided attention? 
When I first got married, we were living in Boston, and Jess and I, every Wednesday night would be date night. So every Wednesday night, we would go to a different restaurant. And a lot of times, we would go to a restaurant, and the waiter, would, they would seat us at, at, at this table, and there'd be two chairs. And I would quickly see, okay, there's the TV, and I would take a seat down, and I would sit there so that I could be able to hang out with my incredible wife, Jess, and also keep an eye on the Red Sox or Patriots game. And I, and I would sit there, and I would just, and, 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 and it, worked for, it worked for a couple years until I really realized that no. No, and gentlemen, listen to me. Trust me on this one. Just trust me on this one. You always take the seat with your back to the distraction. I began to realize that I wasn't giving my wife my undivided attention on our date nights. Oftentimes, you've been, you've been in those classrooms when the professor is slowly losing control of the class. And finally, with that stern voice, they say, I want your divided attention now. And here God is saying the same thing to the people of Israel. I want your divided attention. I'm a relational God. My glory demands nothing less. Which is why here in verse 3, he says that these people have set up idols in their hearts. And it's the first thing that we see here. Idolatry is a matter of the heart. See, idolatry is not just an external thing. It's also an internal thing. So often we think of idolatry and we think of these statues or these places of sacrifice that have been set up that we read about in the Old Testament. But idolatry is actually a matter of the heart. The pastor Tim Keller defines it as anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Oftentimes, idolatry sneaks in because they're, they're little things in life. They're actually good things in life that then become ultimate things. They start off as good, but they become an ultimate thing, and then they become an idol. Things like beauty and power and money and achievement, these are things that aren't that far out there. These are not foreign gods. These are, these are just things that we face every day. In his book, The Counterfeit Gods, Keller goes on to say, we may not physically kneel before the statue of Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, but many young men and women today are driven into depression and eating disorders and working out too much by an obsessive concern over their body image. A good thing becomes extreme. It becomes the ultimate thing. We may not actually burn incense to Artemis, the god of fertility and wealth, but many of us, when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions, we perform a kind of child sacrifice, neglecting family and community to achieve that higher place in business, to gain more wealth and more prestige. A good thing becomes an ultimate thing. You see, church family, if we're to be honest, many of us have accepted idols of the heart. We didn't choose them on purpose. They began to creep in, and our allegiances have been split. God doesn't have our undivided attention. In the case of these exiles in, in Babylon, it's even more difficult for them. They are in a new culture, in a new land. In fact, that culture, in that land, the empire of Babylon is actually at its height of power, and everything is working. They are economically blessed. These people that are worshiping these foreign gods and have these interesting cultural things, it's working for them. And so for the people of Israel, they see this, and they're at their low point. And how hard is it not to adopt some of these customs, adopt some of these religious practices, Adopt some of these ways of living because it's working for them. And so often in the short term, we just go with what's working. We just go with what's trending. And it dilutes our faith in God. It undermines our trust in him. 
But before the presence and the glory of God, there can be no split allegiance. Yahweh will have no rival. He wants it all. A full surrender and nothing less is what brings the presence of God. Last week, I just got back a couple of days ago from from an international trip. I had an incredible opportunity to travel on a pilgrimage to the country of Wales. I was able to go there. I was there for for 10 days with a group of ministers. We were studying the revivals. Wales experienced tremendous revivals in the 1700s, then another in 1859, and then the big one in 1904 and 1905. Some of you church historians may be aware of this, but we were able to go from chapel to chapel and see this beautiful country of Wales, a lot of sheep, Like, you think Wales has a lot of sheep. Just picture how many sheep are in Wales and triple it. That's how many sheep are in Wales. But beautiful country. And we traveled from little village to little village. And many things jumped out to me. But one of the things that stuck out was we went to this little village called Nuki. Nuki is a village that's on the sea. We'll put a picture of it up here for you, Nuki. And so we're able to go there. We had some really good fish and chips. And then we went to visit this little chapel right here. And many people would say that this is where the revival of 1904 actually launched. But the fascinating thing about it is we heard this story of of this young girl, I think she was 18 or 19 years old, named Flory Evans. And you see, Flory, she, she was struggling in her faith, and she actually set up a meeting with the pastor, and she just confessed some of these things, said, I don't even know if God is real, and he talked to her, and he kind of led her back to faith. But the following week, she's at their youth meeting on a Sunday night. 1904, it's a November evening with just a small group of youth. And the pastor asks a simple question. He says, what does Jesus mean to you? And he looks out at his group of youth. And one of the young men gives the perfect answer, the intellectual answer from the mind. And he quotes some scripture and he declares what Jesus means to him. And the pastor said, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. But what does Jesus mean to you? What does Jesus really mean to you when suddenly Flory Evans stands up? And they say that there was such insincerity in her voice when she simply goes and she says, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. Now, I read this and I just say that is a second grade answer. There is nothing profound or impressive above that answer. But you know what? She said it and Holy Spirit fell. She said it, and the revival of 1904 suddenly was underway because a fully surrendered heart of this 18-year-old brought the manifest presence of Christ. Suddenly, everyone in the room could sense it. People started to confess their sins. Her two best friends began to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and no one could deny what was happening. Over the next few weeks, the presence of God continued to show up. They would meet every night. They began to go, these three girls from chapel to chapel, and wherever they went, they would tell people he wants it all, a fully surrendered heart, and the presence of God would fail. Church family, I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. God wants full surrender. His glory demands it. He's always on the prowl looking for it. Ezekiel continues in verse 4 and 5. It says, so I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer their idolatry deserves. I will do this to capture their minds and their hearts. To capture, it's such a strong word. In the original language, it means to seize the heart. To seize the heart. He is prowling, looking to seize the heart. In other places in the scripture, it means to take over a city. To, to conquest. To apprehend that prisoner that's been on the run. 
You see, the rebellion of the people is met with a justice, but it includes a pursuit to recapture our minds and our hearts. And for those of us that have a divided allegiance, for those of us that have walked away and haven't given God our full attention, this is good news. His desire is to recapture our hearts and our minds. Some of you, he is calling you back. We see the intensity of this passage, but in it we also see the care and the love and the pursuit and the restoration of a God that wants his people. Throughout Ezekiel, we see these I will statements. Last week, Jennifer talked about, I will give you a new heart. I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This week, I will capture you, your heart and your mind. But here's the thing. These are not declarations. Because we are in a covenantal relationship with God, they are not declarations. They are invitations. They are invitations. We have to take a move on our behalf to receive that capture. In Ezekiel 14, 6, it says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent and turn away from your idols. Church family, to be recaptured, we first need to repent and turn. That is the action that we need to take. The capture is voluntary. That seems weird, but to be recaptured, it's on us. It's voluntary. Our act of saying we want in is repentance. And it's not just simply repent, it's repent and turn. Repent and turn. A friend of mine made a statement this week. He said, I'm embarrassed to confess sometimes because I'm not ready to repent. I'm embarrassed to confess my sins because I know I'm not ready to repent. I had to look at him and say, I think oftentimes the same is true for me. Church family, I think it's true for many of us. I think if we're honest, if we're honest and we look at our lives, that oftentimes we realize, yeah, I'm sorry that I have that idol, but I don't know that I'm necessarily ready to give it up. I began to think about the reasons why sometimes it's hard for me to actually repent. I think because I realize that sometimes I fear that comfort, some of my comfort might be at stake. I think that sometimes I, I, I think while I believe there's more flourishing for me, life's not too bad right now with that, that little corner of that idol. Or probably for me, the ultimate reason is because to truly repent and turn means I have to fully relinquish control, and I like to have control. But the bottom line is to fully experience the manifest presence of God, our act is a full surrender. This is the heart response that opens our ears to his voice, to his message. He wants full surrender. It's what his glory demands. In Colossians 3, it's one of my favorite passages. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. What do you get to share in? His glory. Do you understand how profound that truly is? A fully surrendered heart allows us to behold the glory of God. This is what happened in the life of Flory Evans. 
She fully surrendered her heart on that night, and God showed her his beauty, his manifest presence, and the world would never be the same. Many others followed. They would join these meetings and behold God. Coal miners would leave work, and they would come, and they would experience the presence of God, and all of a sudden, they would be relieved. The beholding led to a belief. Their lives would be changed, and out of that would come this behavior, a behavior that changed the fabric of Wales. The judges would wear white gloves because they had no cases. The mules in the coal mines, they had to retrain them because the miners were not cursing at them anymore. They literally had to come up with new commands because the spirit of God had changed the fabric of the land. Many of the pub owners were upset because the men were not drinking as much. The beholding the glory of God because of the fully surrendered heart led to belief, which led to a new way of doing life. When we behold God, it increases a hunger in us to read his word, anticipating that we will receive and hear his voice. When we behold the glory of God, we're out there looking for opportunities to pray for others and to bless them so that they can see their identity and experience the love of Father in true ways and get out of their spiraling self-talk. When we experience the glory of God, we're looking for those that need to experience his transcendence who are experiencing sickness and we pray for healing, but it starts with a full surrender beholding his glory. A full surrender unleashed the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven throughout Wales. And the same can be true for us. As we traveled from place to place in Wales, we heard often the most famous revivalist of them all. The man's name is Evan Roberts. And some of you have probably read about Evan Roberts, the great Welsh revivalist. Evan Roberts was a young man, and he would go from village to village, and he would just wait outside, and people were, there's lines at the doors to even get in, and the people would enter these small chapels, and they would sing these hymns, many that were written during this time. Some of the hymns that we even sing were written during the Welsh revival. And then he would go in, and he would simply give a message, a pretty basic message, every single time. It kind of had four points to it. But what he was saying was personal revival is what leads to corporate revival. And he would help walk people towards that personal revival. His message was a call to full surrender. He would talk about these four things. The first was this. Confess all known sin and receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ. He would waste no time. He would say, before we go any further, we need to confess our sin. We need to repent of those things that are getting in the way. Because on the cross, Jesus paid for everything. And so if we just confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us. Because of his shed blood, we are justified just as if we have not sinned and we can be in his presence. The second thing he would always say, remove anything in your life that you are in doubt or feel unsure about. Get rid of the idols of the heart. If there's something creeping in and you don't even think it's an idol, but you, it comes to mind, he says, just get rid of it. Get rid of it. Take it out of your life. Don't let that good thing become an ultimate thing. The third thing, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. I love this one. Don't overthink it. When you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit, do what he says. And finally, publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I think I know I'm good at privately confessing the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my king. He rules and reigns in my life. My allegiance is solely to him. I can do that. I do that every morning when I wake up. I do that every evening when I, when I go to bed. But man, it is a lot harder to publicly do it. 
when he gives you opportunity, you publicly declare that you are under the rule and reign of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Evan Roberts would go from church to church and revival fell on this country. A revival that spread to Korea, to South America. The study of it is a powerful thing. In church family, it can happen again. Before it to happen, we need to be fully surrendered. So as the worship team comes and we prepare to enter back into worship, my question for you is, does he have your undivided attention? Is your allegiance fully to him? If not, today I want you to know he is ready to recapture your heart and your mind. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, we thank you that you are a pursuing God. You woo us back, and sometimes it's with kindness and gentleness, and at other times it's still with that same motive, but it feels different. So, Lord, as my brothers and sisters in this room and I join them, Lord, we come to you and we say, have your way with us. As we enter back into worship, I just encourage you, if God is asking you for more, a full surrender, would you give it to him? Our altar is open. You can do it where you are. But as we worship, Lord, come. Bring that conviction. Show us what we need to remove Allow us to obey your spirit's nudges instantly. And Lord, would you give us the courage this week, I release courage in Jesus' name, to profess that you are the Lord of our lives. We'll give you all the glory. Would you receive our worship now? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.